Hi, and welcome back to The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today, we're happy to welcome a real legend to the show, Reshma, co-founder and managing partner of Seedcamp. With Seedcamp, Reshma has not only pioneered seed stage investing in Europe, but also built what's become one of Europe's consistently highest performing funds. Consequently, we thought we had no choice but to dive deep with Reshma on firm building to tease out some learnings from one of the greats. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Vaban, a Qatar company, is now making it even easier to launch your angel syndicate with their new product called Atom. Angels provide first checks and are an integral component for founders to launch their businesses. With Atom, angels can band together to launch an SPV for $2,000 plus 2% of the raised capital, which is up to $200,000. There's lower fees, more deals, and more equity ownership in the best tech companies. Check it out at vaban.io forward slash EUVC. And don't forget to mention EUVC. Reshma, welcome to the European VC podcast. It is super nice to have you here today. How's everything? Great to be here. Uh, it's it's good. I'm a little exhausted, I have to say. I've been traveling a lot, but yeah, very happy to be here. Where have you been recently? Uh, I was I was in London. I was in Paris. I was at a um, I'm on the advisory board for my university, so I was back in Philadelphia. <laughs> then now back home. So yeah, it's been quite a journey the last ten days. <laughs> That must have been fun. We relate, Andreas and I have put in a hold on all events and tech conferences for the rest of the year because we couldn't take it anymore. Super fun. It's super cool to see everyone, but it's really, it really takes a toll on your body, right? Exactly. So no slush, huh, guys? I guess not Not for me either. Not this year. I heard a rumor that they thought about canceling it because we weren't going, but I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Jokes aside, Reshma, it truly is a pleasure to have you here today. And, you know, I don't think you need much introductions, but I always like to start the same way the episodes, which is asking our guests, how the hell did they break into this wonderful world of venture that we so much love? I'd love to ask you the same question. Give us a quick rundown. How did Reshma come to be the person and the professional that she is today? Yeah, no, great. Um, given how old I am, it does go a long way back. But uh, my undergraduate in uh, engineering and, and business at University of Pennsylvania, so it really is a blueprint. Like because study, I studied both concentrations as such. I was focused pretty equally on both. And then I went into banking, quickly realized I didn't like it. And uh, But I did work in venture capital back in the dot-com boom and bust, it therefore quickly got, you know, uh, things imploded. But um, so I got my taste of venture capital pretty early on. It was such a young firm. And so I kind of did everything. Like I was a lawyer in some days, I was deciding on investments some days, and it, this was all at a very young age. So I did feel though that wow, I have found what I want to do. The dot-com bust did happen over then the next few years. I went on to get my MBA and then work in operations in Vodafone. And so really worked across the entire European footprint, getting a lot of that kind of commercial marketing experience. And then I had this itch though, around wanting to get back into venture. I uh, wound up at a firm, got fired within six months. Ultimately, it was like I had a lot of frustrations about watching the European scene unfold in technology and startups back in 2005, six, seven, and fortunately met a few great people, like-minded people, and we, you know, we got to it and started Seed Camp. As with, I think, 
the audience out there, your audience, as well as just startups in general, you never know how it's all going to turn out and, but you just need to start. So that's what we did in 07. But I did feel that I was meant to do this, like, as in, I was meant to work in this area, kind of combining tech and business yeah. and investing. Rashman, we love to ask the question, where the hell does your fund's name come from? And I have always thought Seedcamp must be something related to Basecamp uh, <laughs> with with you being, you know, that's where you start and then you climb the peak. But tell us what's the story there. It's a great question. And um I kind of, as an individual, inherited that name in the sense that so Saul Klein, whose really brainchild this was, and and but you know I was able to join him at PowerPoint stage, so co-founded it together. But he had that name already down on a slide, and you can't change it once it's on a slide. You can't change it. <laughs> but we were, I mean, we were fortunate. There was a guy named Jason Goodman who uh, did a lot of work on Skype brand and then started his own agency. And he and his team put a bunch of hours into Seed Camp, the name and logo and colors and things as well. And I'm one of those people, I'm like, great, take it, let's go, you know? So it's it's funny because Camp Seed, like it's got a bunch of kind of attachments to that word, yeah. which don't necessarily match like where we are today, but we've, we've really owned it. And I think we actually had our first actual camp in the woods this year, <laughs> 15 years later. So ah, nice. we have, I mean, we've taken that brand on. It is a great question. It's like what you do, you know, what you make of things. And we've taken that brand, embraced it to, as you said, kind of thinking about, you know, mountains and a journey and climbing and reaching the summit. And so we have Seed Summit, and which is around kind of an angel platform. And so we've embraced, we've embraced this. <laughs> And Rashma, we promised you an episode where we talk about firm building and we're already there, right? We're talking about brand building now. So let's start with that pillar. What are Rashma's core thoughts around brand building for all the guys and girls listening in saying, oh, fuck, I'd love to learn and replicate what Seedcamp has done because they have got quite a brand. It's interesting, like, A, again, our own journey, 15 years, but I think I've just been very fortunate to have the advisory board I had at the beginning, you know, the LPs we've had all to this day listening to a lot of other people. Honestly, there's a lot of consistency in what people's advice is, what thoughts are. Ultimately, it is execution, but I'll go back to the essence of our firm. I mean, I think we've just had a really strong North Star. And we've been, and Danny Reimer says, keep the main thing, the main thing. And, and we've been really able to do that is we are extremely disciplined, we're extremely focused. We've really known our North Star since 2007. Of course you evolve, the market evolves, the founder, you know, talent itself evolves, but it doesn't, it hasn't changed from a core. We want to give European founders a real platform to global success and be one of the kind of global, global winners as, as such. And so what are the steps to get there? They're different today or they've evolved today from 2007, but that's been a core objective. So we've not strayed from that into, oh, do you want to start your brand in Asia? Do you want to start it in, you know, Canada or, or wherever? It's like, nope, we're here for European founders to go global and all the pathways and all the hard work we need to do to be part of currently the nine unicorns we're a part of. But, you know, hopefully I, I want to get to my dirty dozen and then and then some, but you know, to, to a dirty dozen. But, uh, but yeah, so I think it's having that North Star and never getting sidetracked, never getting distracted. I'd love to ask you if you have, how should I put this? So it's always the brand lives, especially in VC, with the people that you have representing it. And it's, of course, we're all trying to get the best people and people who we believe, you know, fit with the brand. But it's also a place where you have many acting, not on their own, but, you know, each person has their own profile, has their own personality. And we also typically in VC encourage that and look for those strong personalities. But how do you make sure then 
with that, that you also always stay on brand, meaning you want Seekan to be known for something. As an example, as an LP, we want everyone to know that we're always accessible and that we always give them a clear trajectory either to a yes or a no, and, and we don't leave them lingering. But it's also super difficult and, and making sure that right now we're, we're not too big, so it's not that much of a problem yet. But I see us, you know, having that on many levels with new employees, making sure that they are true to what is our North Star. How, how have you thought about that? And what are those boundaries in terms of ensuring that people act on brand when it comes to Seedcamp? Great question. Um, we have been very thoughtful and considered in our 15 year journey around this and talent. Um, and when we pitch to our own LPs, you know, I sort of say to them, whether you invest in us or, or not, I hope you will walk away understanding how thoughtful we have been. And we can always disagree on the ultimate decision, but we've been, we've been very considered. And so for the first three years, I was executing on my own with a ton of help from as mentioned, Saul, and he was at Index at the time, but, you know, Local Globe and then the Index folks, as well as Van Rex and a few other names as well. So a, a huge amount of support from them, but I was executing on my own. And then three years in when convinced Carlos to come on board, he was an LP in our fund. And I kind of had this like shadow team of associates like me at my age group from each of these VCs who were LPs in our fund. And I was just really taking a lot of their free labor as LPs in my, as in my fund. But I think to say that when therefore he joined, we knew our values well. We had just been working together in that capacity. So we had a very um, joined up value system implemented extremely differently. And we came at things from very different angles. He was more a practicing engineer. I was much more practicing business person, kind of commercial strategy person. So we do apply our values in different ways, but at the core, a value system that had a similar vocabulary because we were all engineers, uh, both engineers, similar vocabulary, similar way of thinking. So I think that, you know, that mattered a lot. The two of us were that kind of fundamental pieces of growing this platform. And then ever since then, I think we have recruited internally a lot into Sia and Tom, particularly Sia was our intern, who's then grown into a partner with us. Tom actually was our fund lawyer, you know, and then we brought him in and, and he's grown. So he was not our intern, but we have kind of graduated our interns quite quickly into those senior positions. You know, what's interesting though, is like between our fund two and three, we were advised by some of our LPs, our board, hey, why don't you get a grown-up? You two are still kind of <laughs> young and you've grown up at C-Camp. Why don't you get like a real grown-up? You know, the thing about C-Camp was we were trying to break a lot of bad habits on how, how venture capital in Europe was built to date. And, um, you know, a lot of great firms, but a lot of bad habits as, as well. And so people we ran into, some amazing people, friends to this day, uh, have supported us a ton, but just not that right fit into the culture we were building, the disruption we were trying to bring. So um, it was hard. It was hard to go against that advice. But actually, we said, you know, exactly kind of we're not subject matter experts. Like Seekamp builds a large base of the pyramid. We make 100 investments every fund, 30 to 40 companies every year. You need a different kind of a person to want to do that. And so we brought in a, a few people and then actually a couple of them left and have done something else. They realized that that is not what they want to be great at. And they've gone on to be great at what they do. You know, so we've built a lot of that growing up in our team, but it's tough. Like a lot of us have, you know, grown up here seven years, Tom and Sia with us, 10 plus years, Carlos and I, Felix as well, a few years. So yeah, it's tough. And then our platform team, and we, we have something called engine, we call it, but it's really our, you know, fund management, management finance team. I think similar qualities on really through the interview process, 
do you understand this job well enough? Like, do you get it? And you know, it's different from other jobs, your other interviews you're having. You must want to passionately believe in what we're building and think you will be excellent at this kind of a job, the pace of legals, the pace of finance, the pace of platform support. And again, building a platform where you are a connector, that's really important. So I think, sorry, to, to boil it all down is we are a firm built around network effects and a flywheel. And you must kind of show this, this love of the flywheel. And then through the interview process, show us how you're going to input into and, and excelling that flywheel and not be something else. You're not going to be something else here. Everything then when you come in to your journey, you know, whether you're with us a year, three years, five years, 10 years, everyone knows they're on that same same yeah. path and a, and a few key terms. We've also, we used to have, uh, our values are on our internal notion page and they're in three areas all around kind of problem solving, community building, teamwork. And then there's of course sub bullets, but as your team grows, no one remembers anything, right? And so we had to actually take the exercise making them three bullet points. That's all anyone remembers, but those are the three bullet points on, on values that again, as a team of 20, we really kind of obsess over and everything we do are we have a we have our end of year reviews going on as well and so the reviews are matched up to yeah. the three value drivers so we've changed our review system as well it's not like some generic thing it's very tied to our values this is what i love about hosting this podcast is when we have guests like you reshma where we ask a question that most would need like two minutes to answer and it will be a bunch of honestly mumbo jumbo we've had many like those but you give us quite a long answer but i can see it in andrea's eyes in my eyes we have like 55 follow-up questions that we're like struggling oh fuck we don't have enough time so thank you i know i literally <laughs> had to stop it was a great, but i think there, there were a lot of tangible items in there right and so exactly yeah. and also reshma spoke of tom We've interviewed Tom and it was really funny. We spoke about his background and how it affects who he is as an investor. So you guys can check it out as well. The European VC podcast, Tom T-Camp, and you'll find it for sure. Reshma, I have to ask you about something you kind of briefly passed by, but that is extremely interesting for us and many of our listeners as well, which is the LP makeup. And you kind of hinted in the early days, especially hinted to that many of these people that were helping you, they're actually LPs. And my mind goes into automatically thinking, okay, it's an LP network and you're allowing for probably smaller tickets to have these individuals. I would love to hear, you know, your reasoning around that. And I think more interesting for me is how has that changed over time, right? Because typically what I see, at least, is it's quite common for fund what to do stuff like that. And then over time, they stop doing it. They kind of move away from that. How has SeedCamp evolved on that front? And how do you think about smaller LPs in your LP base? You know, I think if you kind of keep that flywheel image in mind is like everyone in there matters and, and must contribute. Otherwise, uh, we are going to kick you out any, any which way you talk about it, whether it's our founders or LPs or team or so we do have an obsession over excellence and being exceptional across every bit. So going back to your question on LPs is funny enough, it started as a necessity is the mother of invention. And so back when we raised our first fund, it was two and a half million euros. Here we are today deploying our fifth fund, which is at 80 million pounds. So you can see this journey. Folks like you guys or institutional investors are like two and a half million. I can't get out of bed for that. And then this isn't interesting, right? And so, so really it was going to be the angels and some of the VCs themselves who prescient to think, hey, we need this base of pyramid that Seed Camp is trying to build here and we must contribute into that, right? But what came out of that was because they weren't institutional, you didn't have all this baggage. So what are the negatives? Oh, it wasn't institutional, so I can't raise big money, but what's the good? So I mean, you get in our DNA, we're, 
because we're problem solvers, engineers by nature too, it's often like, fine, this we can't have, but then what, we, what are we getting out of it, right? And so what I did end up seeing, and, and because they were associates kind of told, you go do this, like you go to seed camp, go help her, right? And it was like, awesome. You know, they're in their own firms, <laughs> their own politics, seed camp's this like breath of fresh air for these folks. So I just thought, hey, here's a wallet of time I can tap into. They've given me their wallet of money, now the time. So constantly just being like, can you judge these applications, can you score? Can you be in my room to help me evaluate? And we were actually um, not regulated. We were an investment club. So, okay, we're not a regulated, couldn't have the ego, I'm, I'm deciding on these companies. Well, fine, what I actually got was a bunch of smart people who you know, knew that I'm running, I'm the ex- executive of this firm. So therefore they're gonna, as an investment club, input and score, but you know, it's that collaborative effort. So I looked a lot into what am I getting with what am I not forgetting about what I'm not getting out of the the makeup of my LPs. And it proved, you know, a big USP, a big differentiator, one of our secret like weapons um, as as well. And so we kept that going. And our second fund was 5 million. So still small, right? Third fund, it gets into more institutional. So we just, we just kept it. And I think the other key was like, guys, let's keep you always at that two and a half million level kind of two, you know, out of the five as well. And so over fund three, four, five, you guys add amazing practical value. So let's, let's keep it going, you know, and they have. And so, yeah, it's been awesome to get their wallet of time much more importantly than, than, than their yeah. wallet of money. So we've been very thoughtful of that. So that was my own, our own LP base of pyramid. So everything like also we think a lot of as a, as a, a pyramid or, or tree, uh, I start using that more, is like how branches and how does everyone help, you know, help each other. And so on top of that, then we built EIF or the British Patient Capital or some family offices, corporate VC, build, build, build. Yeah. They're not consistent. You know, you get a new CEO, a new team, and it's like we were doing CVC, but we're dropping that or we weren't and now we're adding it. And I'm like, nah, consistency is what's been core to us. So we're kicking them all out except one of them. So because they have been consistent. So yeah, we've been very thoughtful. I'd love to ask Rashma because you said there, okay, two and a half million. Okay. So that's, that's the dollar amount or euro amount here. How about number of people and how, you know, because we have all of our listeners are thinking about their LP base and two and a half million. What does that translate into number of people and also the makeup of it? What have you kind of, you know, seen that these are the categories that have added the most value? I think yeah. that's, that's very interesting for people to hear. So our first fund was like 20 plus LPs. Our second and third fund, it exploded in a good way of number. So it is hard to manage. And then what we've done more recently is have a minimum ticket to be in the fund. It's still a large number. I think we're at 80 plus. And then um, for our founders, we know the hurdle to invest in our fund is, is larger. So, you know, if they are a, a less than 100K ticket, we group them into cedars. And so we innovated with cedars on that. And now a lot of funds are using, so cedars loved it, right? We were the guinea pig. <laughs> and then because of our brand, other funds are like, well, seed camp did it. You know, we're going to, we're going to do it too. Right. And so these win-wins, you, you know, you, you look for with new tools. So we've evolved with the kind of tools that have grown up as well for us to do. But yeah, I think the one thing we did with our large number of LPs is putting a discipline around the behaviors we would accept and the behaviors we wouldn't accept, having exceptional people around you. Uh, fortunately, angels and VCs themselves is they don't have time to waste either. So the discipline worked mutually well, right? Is I only went to them with crucial things that I knew, what do they care? Like, you always got to know your customer. My LPs are my customers. Our team is our customer. Our founders are our customers. Like, what does that customer base want? They wanted deals. Yes, there's altruism, of course, but 
there's only so much time VCs have for <laughs> so and angels too. It's like I want to write a bigger check into the next potential unicorn, right? Hopefully, Seed Camp is good enough to help build these unicorns. But so it's like keeping that in mind. You know, I went with very disciplined asks and keeping it in mind that they're exceptional. They came to me with discipline, like so they did not waste time with just reporting for reporting sake or or whatnot. So that's what we've done is communicating what the behaviors mutually are uh, to keep being able to manage that LP base. We've also offered liquidity to our LPs where we can well before the 10-year life, right? Within three years, within five years. And if it turned out you and us didn't match in our expectations, great, here's a way for you to get some liquidity. So that's helped get some folks off of our own cap table with great returns for them. So they're super happy. But so we've, we've done a bunch, of, a bunch of these things, but make no yeah. mistake, like you really do need to um, communicate well and manage this large LP base in an extremely disciplined way. And then on the types or categories of people, uh, you've mentioned other VCs. I do believe that those are, have primarily been follow-on VCs, so people that, that come in in rounds later than you. And then what other profiles have proven super valuable? So in the name, particularly angels, I would say, and if you look on um, SlideShare, we ha- we put up our fundraising decks just to be useful and helpful. And it's funny, you'd think it's like, oh, the secrets. And, you know, it's like, well, actually what I love is new fund managers coming back into our flywheel. Like, does it benefit our flywheel to put this information out there? Is it also altruistic? Win-win, you know? But yeah, so you'll see in maybe our older fundraising decks, we, we do categorize our, our LPs. And the angels have been vastly useful, but we didn't take kind of, money really from people who'd made their own money in real estate or just in finance or or we really it was like oh did you make money in tech you know are you either software or fine if it's health tech fin tech real estate tech as, as long as so so the angels yes. were very useful and they wanted to really mentor they want to stay so our mentoring is really interesting too again people are like why would you have them? Why were they giving up their time? It's like, they're not giving their time because of altruism. Again, of course, there's a layer of it. But really, angels, because they were tech operators, usually, they want to stay current. What are new products? What are new founders? What's new you know, languages? What are people building it? Right. And so, again, it's to their benefit. But yeah, angels have been super helpful. You know, we've had founders of Skyscanner, those trade up like those early tech stories out of out of Europe, and they gave a lot of their time um, and, and energy and cash, you know, money as well, writing writing those checks. So, but the VCs, uh, we also did a layering of VCs. We have seed VCs who we co-invest with as we b- built up seed alongside our pre-seed, and then we have the follow-on VCs as well, and then um, some of that growth capital. What about founders? Now that you're Fund Five, soon to be Fund Six, is that something that you're also seeing in the, this kind of flywheel model you're talking about? Exactly. So, I mean, you know, the founder of UiPath, Daniel Dines, he's become an LP in our fund. Tavit at Wise, he's become. So, absolutely. And, and again, we've you won't necessarily always be the highest contributor with the most amount of money. So, we've that's the Cedars group is really just our founders and our team as well. We, of course, have our GP commit, but all our team are welcome to also invest in the fund itself. So, so Cedars captures our founders whose yeah. entry ticket might be smaller, but what they are amazing at, because they're in far-flung geographies, Paris as well as, <laughs> so, you know, you're a star away from London, but Paris as well as Warsaw, or some of them have moved to the U.S., amazing for deal flow. Yeah. Actually, one of our angel LPs, we've done 14 or seven, no, 17 co-investments with. Wow. Dad won't, won't share his name. And then and <laughs> too good. It's our secret, you know. And then one of our founders <coughs> in Paris, I think we've done 11 or so. I mean, just some crazy number. Like he, again, constantly is feeding us deal flow. 
The other thing I did want to mention is um, on team building, people have said to us, man, you guys hire well. And so the contrarian view for us was it's great when people leave Seedcamp. They're coming in as interns, um, usually as interns. And it's like, it's fantastic for them to leave Seedcamp. We're always going to be a small org. But, you know, Ricardo's gone on to become partner at Point Nine. Other than Ricardo's gone on to partner being at Target. Vincent went on to start Kima huge right for the Paris yeah. scene and our connectivity and their experiences were so amazing and were a launch pad for their next big role as well there's a lot of positive mindset towards seed cap, so a lot of sharing in that deal flow right so yeah it was contrarian to think we want to foster people leaving our company <laughs> we'll just say thanks because we're really enjoying working with two former uh <laughs> seed camp persons uh, quite closely so so thanks a million reshma we can only Double down on uh, your, your value add to the community there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Reshma, I wanted, I wanted to ask you something that you hinted to um, before when you were talking about, you know, consistency, not only inside of Seedcamp, but in the LP base and their behavior as well, and how that led you to make some tough decisions, I imagine, on, on corporate LPs, let's put it like that. I get nervous context. There's clearly maybe less so today, but there's been clearly a boom in people raising funds, solo GPs, micro VCs, and that's, we love it. We're probably part of that trend ourselves even. But I always get worried when I see kind of these first time, sometimes solo GPs, whatever, getting a bit in these tough situations where I feel they're somewhat kind of getting themselves in a position where there's too many strings attached. And that puts into question the sustainability of the firm in the long run. And, you know, you're on soon fund six, right? And I'd love to ask, you know, if if you were to think back into fund one, fund two, and your learnings and maybe some of the mistakes, but with this backdrop of, you know, it's not about only building a VC firm, it's about building a sustainable VC firm that can outlast you ideally. Yes. And we faced some of those strings as, as well that would have catapulted us to into larger funds and we didn't. So whether it's someone wanting to be part of the GP, some of the other sort of country attachments or, or other, yeah. you know, sector, all of that. And it was hard to say no, because again, you could have had that larger fund. It's hard to operate on a two and a half million, a five million, even a 20 million, right? I still think they are good problems to have when fundamentally you had the judgment to it or the platform to attract great founders to come want your money and the judgment to make those decisions and then the support system. So I still rather have the problems of don't have enough money to, to like continue to invest in some of these companies versus exactly what you said is patching up in the short term, you know, or, or getting into some of these entanglements, which really come to bite you a few years down the road. So go back to that, like, what is our North Star? If we, of course, can't have enough money to invest in a company, that's a problem. But what we've always done is like, we've gotten sponsorships from, you know, Google, Microsoft, Stripe, like players like that, who really wanted to be supportive. We've made things, you know, work, which fed the flywheel towards the North Star. But other things we've just said, no to. But, you know, sometimes we do wonder, like, what if we had expanded our brand into other geographies? What if we had grown the team more? What if, what if, what if, what if? <laughs> Hopefully we were, you know, smart in that journey in staying disciplined to, as you said, building that 15-year sustainable firm and then long-term, you know, hopefully another 15 years and 20 years down the road. Most VC firms, so I'd almost say, have done opportunity funds <laughs> this last year. Uh, now I think some of them would have wished they had you know, save some LP <laughs> dry powder for the fund four or fund five or whatever number they're on rather than do an opportunity fund. I'd love to hear your thinking around that. Great point. And it leads, goes all the way back to um, firm building as, as well. We did not raise opportunity funds, but we did build 
I say like 40, 50 SPVs basically, some with just one LP or someone who's not an LP necessarily as well. But so we made them discrete, you know, vehicles, right? Which you can measure their IRR, their ROI, it's discrete capital. And we kept the core, the core. So actually what we've done more recently is we have a pool of capital that a new colleague of ours, Hillary in New York is managing, but we separated it out. And if she decides she wants to raise a larger amount from that pool of capital, it's just 50 million to grow it. It's her strategy. It's her butt on the line. It's her future. It's more icing on the cake for us in a sense, but the core is what we're driven by. And we talk about this in our fundraising as well. So you keep, you know, we're extremely good with our team and that's partly the managing partner role Carlos and I have to play is keep the team extremely focused and disciplined. So our core team knows that the life begins and ends with access to the best founders and the judgment we're building around making the decisions on who the best founders matching up with Seedcamp are and then ultimately getting to those kind of unicorn, right? And, and follow on funding and who's coming in for that follow on funding into our companies. And, you know, there's certainly a correlation uh, towards then the journey to that kind of billion, five billion, 10 billion markets as such. So, but I just don't want any of our team distracted, including me. So we kept our core is what we obsess over. And then Hillary can think about building the icing on the cake for us. So we did separate it out. Um, and we thought a lot about remuneration or not for that matter in any income and then carry and, and, and things like that. So again, very thoughtfully designed for the long term. A lot of what we do is we iterate and then set up a structure. So we experiment, we iterate, like we built SPVs on AngelList. We built them with our own law firm. We've like built them in all sorts of ways. We learned a ton, learned what doesn't, you know, what's hard. Uh, SPVs are hard. Opportunity funds are easier you have a captive you know, pool of capital. But to your point, we've had a lot of benefit from SPVs because we're not in this sort of like captive pool of capital. Because if there's not opportunities, then what's what's the point? So again, we looked at like, <laughs> what are the things we get out of going our way? And then double click on those, hyper build on those pros rather than the cons um, and, and maybe making some of those decisions. And how, Reshma, have you thought about inviting your LP base into those SPVs? Has it always been clear cut or have you also iterated on that model? Yeah, we, we sort of what we do is um, whatever fund that company's in, we first prioritize the LPs in in there and then broadening out. But again, expected. And after pro rata. After our investments done. And again, it's expected behaviors is like, hey, you're going to have to move fast. You're going to have to do it based on you know this level of information or not. And, and so we built up some of those processes as we work with few LPs more or less, but same thing is like, we're at the mercy of these amazing founders who are raising, you know, their next round with next few rounds with whoever, and we're just going to have to move this way. If you don't want to, don't, no, no stress. We don't have to do it together, but um, then we'll go ask someone else. Right. So, yeah, so we have spelled out working behaviors uh, on even the SPVs from the beginning. Yeah. yeah, that's really, really good to hear you say that Reshma earlier today, I was talking with Andreas about how to deal with some, uh, difficult investors in SPVs. And so it's very it's very nice to have your take because our decision was exactly the same. These are long relationships. Why the hell should I bother? It doesn't matter how big the ticket is, right? I'm going to have to deal with this, at least in our case, seven years, right? Like, yeah. why the fuck would I, would I want to deal with this this, this guy or girl for yeah. that amount of time? Right? Absolutely. Because what are you, you know, you keep hearing me beat the drum of like, you go back to the first principles is like, what are you in it for? If you want a quick flip, you'll certainly implement certain behaviors and strategies. And if you want, if you're here trying to build companies that are hopefully at least 10, 20 years old, 
at a certain point, maybe 100 years old. But if that's what your goal is, if you're building a 20-year firm, a 40-year firm, your actions are going to be very different. Your strategy is going to be very different from a lot of quick fixes for money. Absolutely. Reshma, we are unfortunately running out of time. And what? we are going to do, yes, yes, it's it's sad, <laughs> at least for us. Uh, we're going to do a special one. So as usual to our listeners, we're going to end with a quick fire round, but not as usual. I don't know if that works in English. It worked in my head. We're going to have someone different doing the quick fire round. So we're going to have our good friend JD from Pacenotes, who Reshma also knows quite well, uh, to do the quick fire round. Reshma, are you ready for the quick fire? Yes, I'm prepared. <laughs> no, because there's no preparation. It's a quick fire. All right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So now is the part where we'll change my voice with a much sexier Dutch sounding whoop. But the first question is, which PC that you know has a superpower and what is it? Uh, yes, I have a few examples because I, I was lucky enough to be mentored by so many. Uh, but, you know, I think folks like Sonali, Danny, Jan at, at Indexes as well come to mind. I think there are many routes to being excellent in venture. You know, Jan is amazing at relationship forming with his founders I and mean, he goes all in. Not necessarily is that a recipe for everyone else. Sonali is amazing at, she just has this kind of her head in, in what matters and, and signal from noise, like her ability to really understand signal from noise is amazing. You know, Danny, um, Figma, latest example, sort of, I think both firm building, he's a great example of that firm building as well as his own personal kind of judgments he makes. And man, that track record, that's not luck, right? Like that's talent. So, you know, I think again, he, I, I've, I've watched him kind of manage his time over time and uh, being very careful about where he puts his, puts his time. So various superpowers, Carlos as well, my partner is amazing at dissecting any technology out there to fundamentals. I mean, he's a proper engineer. I sort of, you know, moonlight with it, but yeah, founders are blown away. Like in these pitch meetings, they're like, yes, you nailed it. And he's able to translate some of that founder speak into business and what'll be the impact at a, at a global scale. And when you're pitching to us, you're like, that's who I want, you know, on my team. Yeah, right. So exactly. look, these are very different superpowers. Carlos would say about me, like the way I can keep a network in my head. He's like, I don't understand how you do that. And so, and I'm constantly connecting people as dots. So uh, very different ways to get to. It's so funny. It's sorry to interrupt you there, Russia. It's so funny you say that. I'm, we've met Carlos in uh, Bucharest, so not that long ago. And we've crossed paths a couple of times in these tech events. And I would actually say he's been super good at that network approach that you're saying he would say about you because he's been introducing us to many, many people and really building some really interesting bridges. So I can only guess that it's rubbing off him as well a bit, <laughs> your approach. He actually, Rashma, he has what you might dub uh, the Houdini introducer because he might just pop up for 10 seconds, say, you should meet yeah, exactly. this guy. And then all of a sudden, he's gone again. He's gone. <laughs> I think that's an interesting approach. Okay. I love that. Yeah, tell him that. <laughs> I actually love that. Rashma, second question uh, in my Dutch accent. In your view, what is the essence of venture capital and how do you relate to that as a firm? Ultimately, you are a fund manager. You are an employee of your LPs as such, right? So look, it's you got to return money. Fortunately, I was educated deeply into the power of IRRs, ROI <laughs> as well as IRRs. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm worried for your audience. Um, <laughs> so that's your job at the end of the day. And then it's the how. How do we relate that to the firm? It is the flywheel um, I've talked about for our firm. It really works to our model. What we again pitch to our LPs is if you do your DD in us, you'll see we've connected our model with our team, with our what matters at the end of the day, with our relationships with LPs founder. Like everything makes sense connected. Each piece might not make sense, but when you connect it all up, you go, oh, like the puzzle, right? And you're like, oh, wow, 
I hope that should deliver excellence, which, you know, we've been fortunate to be able to deliver, but yeah, venture capital, whatever anyone says, like you're a fund manager and you're returning money to, to, to money and that's your job. Third question. What are you as a firm consistently good at and why? We're good at being disciplined and remaining focused. And we're good at doing that as a group of our 20 of us, but then even our broader base of who we think is seed camp nation. So we really are now at a size where it can be the nation, which is our LPs, the thousands of employees at our companies. So yeah, founders, mentors, our experts in residence, our venture partner. It's hard as you scale to keep focus and discipline. And, and I think we're very good at that. By the way, this is not an easy thing. So you're not, we're not good at it because it's easy. Like it is a journey. It's difficult. 2021 was difficult for us because we grew into nation in a big way. It was a term we've used, but I think it really came to life even more last year. We, we went through a lot of difficult internal conversations and tool kidding of like putting a lot of things in place to make sure we, we retain that ability that we're so good at with focus. Fourth and final question, and this one would be incredibly hard for me to answer. So I'm very curious, which is, which firm do you consider to be the most promising emerging manager? It's a really mean question. Um, <laughs> we're, we're friends with so, so many. I'll just tell you, friends with, impressed by, you know, just visionaries yeah. <laughs> out of Germany. Their pace of development as a firm and what they've, what they've been involved with, really amazing. Actually, they came out of La Familia, and so La Familia, too, is really impressive. I think we're Declan, like we're LPs in Declan's fund, you know, Tiny VC as well, which is an ex-seed camp. So there you go. You see my biases here. But uh, what I like, and, I, and I've been working with JD on Pace Notes as, as well, is like, hey, why do you exist as a manager? What is that uniqueness? Why should anyone care? And I think the firms I've just mentioned, especially I've mentioned two in Germany, right, is like point nine has been established, but these guys, there's a need in the German market and they've emerged and they play, you know, the way they talk about their brands just makes a heck of a lot of sense, right? Tiny VC has its own role. They're very clear about kind of what they stand for. So yeah, I think where you see is I'm impressed by people who I can clearly be like, Why the fuck do you exist? Why do you matter? So yeah, so I'm you know, impressed by that kind of whether you're in Dublin or London or, or, or wherever you're starting things up. Kima's, I mean, they're not emerging, but there you go. I'm, I'm super impressed by what Kima's done over the years. Reshma, thank you so much for joining us. And an even bigger thanks for at the 48th minute or so of our recording, ending up actually saying the F word, getting an American to say the F word on something that's recorded. You know, either you've gone to actually be European or you, or, or we just had a good time. I all the time, literally. I'm so happy you did it in the end. Trying to stop. Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Vauban, a Qatar company, is now making it even easier to launch your angel syndicate with their new product called Atom. Angels provide first checks and are an integral component for founders to launch their businesses. With Atom, angels can band together to launch an SPV for $2,000 plus 2% of the raised capital, which is up to $200,000 US dollars. There's lower fees, more deals, and more equity ownership in the best tech companies. Check it out at vaban.io forward slash EUVC. And don't forget to mention EUVC.